Aloha, church. In one or two words, how would you describe the book of Revelation? By the way, it's Revelation, not Reve Revelations. It's, it's many revelations that's, revelations that's happening within one revelation. That's why it's called the book of Revelation. But in one or two words, how would you describe the book of Revelation? Just go ahead and write it, write it now. Type it in now. Oh, oh, did you just write that? Whoa, who just wrote that? Oh, just kidding. I can't really see what you're writing. <laughs> but, but it's interesting. Revelation evokes all these different images in our mind. After all, you think about it. You have these like beasts and these different uh, creatures and these seven-headed animals. And then you have like these judgment scenes with bulls being poured out and then you have like these scrolls being open and you're like what is going on and then in the end you have like this final battle type scene that's going on and you have all these different images and the question is what's going on in the book of revelation and so oftentimes what happens is people shy away from this book They'll read the 65 other books of our Protestant canon but then when it comes to revelation we're like mm, I'll leave that one aside but we're going to engage with this book. We're going to ask those tough questions and we're going to wrestle with those tough questions. The book of Revelation has been studied throughout the centuries. Great, brilliant thinkers have come on all different interpretive sides of this. But my hope with this series is that we approach this series with humility. We approach the book of Revelation with humility. And that we come with a heart of learning, a desire, and a thirst to know more. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would create this thirst within us to, to not only learn Scripture, to, to dive deeper into Scripture, but to understand what Revelation has for us. Because Revelation has a lot for us. And one of the things we're going to be doing throughout this entire series is offering more resources so you could go as deep as you want to go with the book of Revelation. So, for example, on Mondays, we're going to release a video. Uh, I've done a series of interviews with Dr. Joe Grana, who actually preached here last year. And he is a uh, pastoral theologian of Hope International University. And I asked some questions, basically follow-up questions to these messages and we're going to release those every Monday um, for this five-week series. In addition to that, on Thursday, I'm doing a book club. Whoever wants to join, come join. We're doing a book club on Thursday on a book by Eugene Peterson called Reverse Thunder. And he wrote this book in 1988. And I think... I think there's been other copies since then, which is interesting. There's a book written in 1988 called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. Google it. It's there. It's sold a lot. And uh, I don't think Jesus has come yet. <laughs> okay, he hasn't come yet. So, but Eugene Peterson didn't write that book, by the way. So, Eugene Peterson wrote this book, Reverse Thunder, Thursday nights from 7 to 8. It's going to be on Zoom. If you want to join this book club, go ahead and email kcc at kaimikichristian.org. kcc at kaimikichristian.org and, and say, I'm, I'd like to join the book club. And we'll send you the Zoom link and, and all of that. So we might have 20 people on this book club. We might have 100 people on this book club. I have no idea. We've never done this before. So 
we're going to read it this uh, Thursday coming up. We're going to read the first, we're going to discuss the first three chapters. And uh, so go ahead and, and get that book and let's, let's talk about it. So let's look at Revelation a little closer. Let's, let's dive into this book a little closer and uh, let's, let's see what type of book this is. And as we see what type of book this is, let's see how we should interpret it. And the best place to go about how to interpret it is the actual book itself. So let's read Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show him servants, to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. So what type of book is this? This book is an apocalypse. The first word in the Greek text is the Greek word apocalypse. So you have the Greek text and, and it's actually a transliteration. What I mean a translation would be this. Apocalypse means uh, unveiling or um, uh, uh, unveiling or um, uh, uncovering, to reveal. That's what apocalypse means, but a tr that's the translation of apocalypse. A transliteration is when you have the word, the Greek word, and then, and then, you know, alpha for apocalypse, you bring down the alpha and then that's an A, and then you bring down the Greek letters and you turn them into English letters. So, for example, uh, the Greek word for baptism is baptizel or baptizo. And, and you just bring down the Greek letters term, the English letters, so it's called a transliteration. So the apocalypse is a transliteration of the Greek word, um, and, and, and what it means as we translate it is this uncovering or this unveiling, this uncovering or this unveiling. And, um, and an apocalypse in the Bible, the apocalypse in a Bible is a moment when God reveals something that was previously hidden. So it's a moment in time when, when something was previously hidden and then God, God apocalypse it. He reveals it. Rather than being a secret to decode, this is important. Apocalypse, rather than being a secret to decode, a biblical apocalypse shows us a true picture of what the world is so that we can live with a new perspective. One writer says it this way, apocalyptic literature is used in specific ways in the ancient world. It was rarely used to give detailed chronological accounts of the future, but rather it's symbolic language that is meant to convey emotion and feeling and order to give a larger picture of something and to ignite your imagination. 
For example, in Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 11 to 12, the Apostle Paul writes this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation. That's apocalypse. Apocalypses in Greek. That's apocalypse. I received it by apocalypse, by revelation from Jesus Christ. So Jesus apocalypse the Apostle Paul in the sense that the Apostle Paul needed something to be unveiled to him, uncovered to him. And what was that? It was the fact that Jesus was the Christ on the road to Damascus. Jesus comes to the Apostle Paul and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And what's going on there? A revelation. Because Jesus is uncovering or unveiling something that he couldn't, that the Apostle Paul couldn't see. That thing he couldn't see was that Jesus Christ was in fact the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that Jesus Christ was in fact the Messiah who he had been persecuting. So, so Paul writes about this apocalypse, this unveiling that Jesus brought to him. It's important to understand that because when we understand context, we're going to have a clear understanding of scripture. In fact, if we don't have any understanding of context and how certain words are used in the New Testament and the Old Testament, we're, we're going to have a difficult time having a clear understanding of what is going on. So when it comes to understanding scripture, it's context, context, context. That's the setting. We have to understand what was going on during that particular time. And what a particular apocalypse means uh, is dependent on the context. If we want to know uh, about different apocalypses, uh, apocalyptic literature, we have to understand the context in which this type of literature was written to understand what it meant to the original audience and what it means to us today. So, for example, the book of Revelation. It was written to seven literal churches in Asia Minor. We have to understand that. We have to have an understanding of those seven churches. What was going on in those seven churches? What was the time frame? These sorts of things. And then we have to understand apocalyptic literature. And we'll get into that in, in, in a little bit. But, uh, but one writer says it this way. John's visions reveal that Jesus has overcome evil by his death and resurrection, and will return one day as a true king of the world. In this series, I'm really gonna to try to um, inspire us to go deeper in the book of Revelation and even possibly even challenge why we believe what we do about the book of Revelation. And, uh, and get us to think and process and hopefully to think critically. But one thing everyone agrees on, no matter what uh, uh, theological background one comes from, is this here. John's visions reveal that Jesus has overcome evil by his death and resurrection and will return one day as the true king of the world. And as we look at the book of Revelation, 
There are four main views, four main interpretation styles. And this is important to understand as we understand the book of Revelation. Because if you just pick up the book of Revelation, read it without any context, without any setting, um, without any background knowledge, you can pretty much make Revelation say whatever you want it to say. But there's four main interpretive styles and I'm going to touch base on them just briefly right now. And then on Monday, when I send out the uh, video that the video interview I do with Dr. Grana, then I'll have a little more in-depth commentary on these four views. But the first interpretive style is called the historicist approach. The historicist approach says that Revelation surveys the whole of church history. This approach is not really... Most scholars to this day and modern day, probably since the 17th, 16th centuries, have not really taken this uh, approach that seriously. But they look at this and they say that this is uh, this deals with just church history. And so what you see is these type of interpreters get to about 1500 and then shortly after that, uh, it doesn't follow. So... That's one way of looking at it. The other one, other approach is called the preterist approach. And that is fulfillment is in the past shortly after the time of writing. So when it says like in the passage we just read that this will shortly come to pass and uh, uh, phrases like that, it literally means this will shortly come to pass. And they will look at the Emperor Nero and Emperor Domitian who were the Emperor of Rome at the time as these you know, these these evil figures in the book of Revelation. And then we have the futurist approach. The futurist approach will, uh, you know, look at everything after chapter three as awaits fulfillment in the future. And the futurist approach is the popular view today of eschatology, which is the study of end times. Then there's a fourth approach. It's called the idealist approach. And the idealist approach says that there's no single fulfillment, only transcendent principles and reoccurrent themes. Now we'll go, I'll, I'll write more and get more into detail on, on these and give you resources so you can go as deep as you want to do on, on Monday in that email we send out. But wherever you land in terms of your church background, your theological background, maybe what pastors believe or maybe which uh, teacher you've been listening to on YouTube or, or what church, whatever it is. Revelation is not one of the books that we're going to divide on in terms of like fellowship. If someone believes in the futurist approach, someone believes in the preterist approach, that's okay. Why? Because Jesus is still on the throne. Amen. And, and the book of Revelation, they're going to have different views from brilliant people. And that's okay. But we still need to approach Revelation with humility. We still need to approach Revelation with honesty and uh, as much integrity as we can in terms of uh, figuring out what what is going on in the book of Revelation. There's a saying in our church, we've been saying, I don't know, for many, many years, but in essentials, unity, in opinions, liberty, and in all things, love. So as we talk about revelation with our friends, let's make sure that this isn't an essential thing that if someone doesn't believe exactly what we do, well, then they're not a follower of Christ. No, that's not true at all. 
followers of Christ are people who believe in Jesus, believe that he died and rose again, that, that he is God in human form. That's what followers, that's the essential of Christianity is the cross. Let's always go back to the cross. The end times and how things are going to play out, those are not issues to divide over. But we need to do our due diligence and learn what, what is going on in Revelation because there's a lot in Revelation for us. In fact, did you know that Revelation is a practical book? Yeah. Revelation is a practical book with all the scenes and those different scenes and all the different scenes that's going on. It's a practical book. In fact, it's a practical book in many ways. It's a practical book in how we should worship. You have these scenes of these incense going up to the Lord, and these incense are symbolic of prayers going to the Lord as if the Lord is hearing them, uh, as a way of the Lord like receiving them. You, you have worship and revelation, these different beings worshiping God, adoring God, saying, holy, 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 singing holy, holy, holy. And it's all filled with worship and it's a powerful image of what heaven is going to be like. New Testament scholar Craig Keener says it this way, we are never as close to heaven on earth as we are as when we worship. It is a foretaste of heaven. Even the new Jerusalem in the future is in the shape of a, of a sphere. Oh, sorry, in, in the shape of a cube. Even the New Testament, even the New Jerusalem in the future is in the shape of a cube like the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. So when heaven and earth collide and when Jesus returns, it's this image that that's going to be the Holy of Holies, that we will be with God forever in the Holy of Holies. Revelation is also practical in the sense that it is honest about suffering. The consistent message in Revelation is that Jesus is worthy of us suffering for him. Wow. Of the seven churches in Revelation, two of them were suffering because they were committed to the message of Jesus. They were committed to their faith in Christ. Two of the seven. And you know what Jesus says to those who are being persecuted? He, he congratulated them. He said, well done because of their commitment to press on during difficult times. But then there are other churches that John writes to. And some of these churches were given into the very system, to the very powers that were persecuting these two other churches. They were given in and compromising to the powers that be when their sister churches were being persecuted. So it is clear that Revelation nor the Bible shy away from the fact that persecution will happen, that there will be suffering. The Bible never shies away from the fact that suffering is real. The Bible never shies away from the fact that evil is real. In fact, the reality is, and something we should always remember, always take to heart, is that Jesus suffered for us. You can write that in the comment section. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering for us. Thank you, Jesus. Revelation is a practical book because it's a book of hope. The book encourages us about the future. It tells us that there'd be no more 
mourning, no more tears, no more crying, that we will be in the presence of God forever. The book of Revelation tells us that in the end, God wins. And if God wins, then guess what? We win. The book of Revelation offers so much hope to all of us. It's a practical book. It gives pastoral advice as well. Written to seven churches going through seven different different types of issues going on and and gives good pastoral advice to those seven little churches as well as to us today. But as I've said before, as I said earlier, and I've said in earlier messages, I'm going to keep saying it. When we understand, if, if we're going to understand any book of the Bible, we have to understand context. And Revelation is no different. Understanding Revelation requires context. So first, to understand Revelation, we have to best understand what Revelation meant to its original audience. What did these chapters, after chapter 3 of Revelation, mean to the original audience? And we have to come to grips with the fact that Revelation was not written to us. It was written for us. Without a doubt, it wasn't written to us. It was written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Second, understand Revelation, we should have a solid foundation of the Old Testament. Eugene Peterson writes this in his book, Reverse Thunder. The Revelation has 404 verses. In those 404 verses, there are 518 references to earlier scripture. If we are not familiar with the preceding writings, quite obviously, we are not going to understand the Revelation. John has his favorite books of scripture. Ezekiel, Daniel, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Isaiah, Exodus. But there is probably not a single canonical Old Testament book to which he doesn't make at least some allusion. Wow! The better you and I understand the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the better we're going to understand the New Testament in general, but Revelation in particular. The Old Testament has images and has these images throughout the Old Testament that John is drawing on so we understand what it meant in the in the context of the Old Testament books, then we're going to have a better understanding of what it means when John refers to it, when, when Jesus inspired John to write those words. I want to read this quote I read at the beginning of the message one more time. Apocalyptic literature is used in specific ways in the ancient world. It was rarely used to give detailed chronological accounts of the future, but rather it's symbolic language that is meant to convey emotion and feeling in order to give a larger picture of something and to ignite your imagination. And third, if we're going to understand Revelation, we must understand apocalyptic literature. And that's the challenging part. Because apocalyptic literature is not literature that is written today. But, but, it was common during this time frame. The Hebrews understood apocalyptic literature. They wrote apocalyptic literature. And there's a number of non-canonical books, these are books that they didn't make in the Protestant canon, that 
are apocalyptic, like First Enoch and other books like that that are considered apocalyptic. And so this was a common form of writing. And so that goes to, to you know, make the point that understanding the Bible, we must understand literary styles. Revelation is mainly apocalyptic, even though it starts out as an epistle. And then it goes into this apocalyptic type book. But we're not going to read, for example, the book of Psalms the same way we're going to read the book of Matthew. We're not going to read the book of Deuteronomy the same way we're going to read the book of Daniel. Why? Because they're different literary genres. And that email I'm going to send out Monday, I'll probably put a link to a video that might be helpful explaining literary genres. So John tells us these things are prophecy. And sometimes we hear the word prophecy and only one idea comes to mind. And what's that idea that comes to mind? Write in the comment section. One idea usually comes to mind when we hear the word prophecy. And it's very common, and it is a part of prophecy, and that's foretelling the future. It's what the future is about. But there's another way of looking at prophecy, and this is probably the most common way of looking at prophecy in the Old Testament. It wasn't foretelling, but it was forthtelling. Here's what I mean. Foretelling is speaking God's truth <clears throat> to God's people to convict them, to remind them of where they've gone astray, and to go back to the ways of living as a people of God. One more time. Forthtelling is speaking God's truth to God's people to convict them, to remind them of where they've gone astray, and to go back to the ways of living as a people of God of God. So Revelation, as we read it, is this book of prophecy, this book of foretelling. As we read it, it's to ignite something in us. Is there something that needs to change so that we could focus on the throne of God? Is there something in us that needs to, to be uh, uh, rid of our lives so that we could focus on heavenly things and, and, and pray that prayer that, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Eugene Peterson says, everything in the Revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. There is nothing new to say, but there is a new way to say it. I read the Revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. So what are we to do with this book? Let me tell you <laughs> that the more I read, and for the past at least two weeks, I've been reading studying, listening to scholars on the book of Revelation. And the more I read, I feel like the less I know. And I jokingly say, well, maybe I should just stop reading and then I'll know like everything. But that's just a joke. You can write ha-ha in the comment section. You can write, Brian, you're so funny, ha-ha. <laughs> okay, don't do that. But go ahead, do that. But what are we to do with this book? Let's wrestle with this book. Let's engage with this book. Let's figure out what these symbols mean, what these images are talking about. Let's figure out what John was writing to the original audience and figure out what that means to us today. But, but let's not throw in the towel and say, I'm done. I can't figure this book out. Who cares? No. Let's join together on this journey. 
to figure out what Revelation is all about. During the weekend messages, I'm going to give us an overview, kind of like a flyover of different areas, a flyover of different passages and, uh, and what they mean to us today. And then throughout the week, we're going to encourage everyone to go deeper. May you join this journey with us. And may we all grow in our knowledge of Jesus. And may we all grow in, in the Holy Spirit and ask God to reveal to us something we haven't seen before about the book of Revelation. And may our lives, as we grow in knowledge, bring honor to Jesus. And may our lives, as we grow in the Lord, as we grow in our faith, have a, the ability to impact the world for Christ, to impact our neighbors for Christ, to impact our coworkers for Christ, to impact everyone we come in contact for Christ. Because that's the goal. When we read scripture, we want it to transform us from the inside out. And may our lives be transformed.